37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Well, hey there, everybody, and welcome to Pixelated Paranormal. This is episode 268. I am Sean, and I bought a Mogwai. And with me, as always, is Preston. Buddy, how are you? What's up, all you cool ghosts and goblins, you crocodiles and crocodingos and skeletors and skeletons and whatever the fuck else you want to be? My name's Preston, and with me is Sean, and I just bought some Dicinium astral aura seeing goggles um from some <laughs> from some guy in uh, tennessee so i'm doing pretty good oops awesome yeah. yeah you sent me that picture last night and i had no idea what the hell those were but i'm excited to try yeah. them out so am i why don't you explain to me and the listeners what these are <laughs> You know, in World War II, when the, the, the Nazis were heaving and hoeing and going forward with technology um, in the printing press company and textiles and dyes, we were very limited to the colors that we had. We didn't have a lot of good colors out there. So, I mean, there really wasn't a good purple. There wasn't a good blue. And um, life was boring. It wasn't full of color. And then they discovered mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that uh, if you take uh, coal and tar... Uh, and some leftover components, and you mix that together, you get this crystal, which is called dicinium, uh, which is a very bright, uh, vibrant uh, purple color, almost um, you know, kind of on the blue side of purple. Mm-hmm. And they were able to get this very vibrant dye. Well, the scientist in the early 20s, after this was discovered, um, he was uh, working with cameras and different lenses to show energy fields and ores around people. And he discovered that if you sandwich, Mm -hmm. uh, so you take a a liquid gel and put uh, mix up with water dicinium crystals and you get this kind of bluish purple paste and you sandwich that in between two sheets of glass and you put those goggles, you know, like the big steampunk goggles, hello, and then you start looking through them you're like, holy shit, I can see this glowing aura around Sean. Um, it, it's so vibrant. He must be horny right now. I don't know what's going on. Or, like, it's very dark, so either he has cancer or he's a demon. And uh, What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and so he started doing this research on that. Well, you know, the occult practices in the 20s or whatever, uh, they all, and the, you know, and then World War II, um, you know, production of dicinium was very hard to get, so it was very limited, and it was hard to, to find. So then it became like this black market item. Mm-hmm. It was covenant. People were like, ooh, we got to get the dicinium. we got to get the dicinium. And, uh, but nobody else really just really gave a shit about it. And then the CIA steps in in the uh, late 60s, right at the start of the Vietnam War, and they discovered that if you tweak the coloring of dicinium a little bit and you get more of the reddish purple, you, in fact, have night vision goggles. Uh-huh. And so they uh, they started you know, producing and hoarding up all the dicinium that the, was could be found and made it illegal because they needed it, not uh-huh. you, you fucking plebe. The government needs it. 
And uh, <laughs> they started making these Dicinium night goggles for the gunners and the and the uh, and the choppers. Mm-hmm. And so there's all these reports of these gunners and these helicopters. They put on the goggles and they're like, holy shit, Steve, it's a demon. And they're just firing into midair. And so there's this idea that uh, because of the properties of dicenium and then uh, the way it breaks down light filament, that in fact it allows you not only to see auras of other people, but uh, allows you to... um, you know, see the astral realm and see demons, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the the ban of dicinium has been lifted. It's no longer a illegal substance or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this guy um, that owns a tarot shop in Tennessee that's all about this shit. And he reproduces the authentic 20-style goggles, makes the dicinium glass for it, and bada-bing, bada-boom, mm-hmm. baby. You can have your very own pair of astral seeing, projecting, demon, whatever goggles. Um, and I ordered a pair. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, also, yeah. if you take those goggles, hit them with a hammer, and dump them in a bowl, pour some milk on it, you'll have some Dicinium Toast Crunch. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, uh, that one was free, General Mills, but if you want to sponsor the podcast, you are welcome to. Well, I can't wait, man, because I don't remember who it was, but on the Wild Wild West movie, it was either um, the dude that worked with Will Smith or was the bad guy. But wasn't one of them like a steampunk wearing psychopath as well? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, in um, Men in Black 3, it's the time traveling one where they go back in time Uh and the boy uh, Cable, uh, Thanos, um, is in fact a young Tommy Jones and uh, the alien bad guy. The alien bad guy in that had uh, some steampunk goggles that are, like, stitched into his face. So Hell yeah, man. Well, I know earlier I told you to go first for the news, but it might make more sense for you to actually do yours because it kind of segues into our topic for tonight. But let me go ahead and hey, just break the news boo, boo, first. You're, you're in the driver's seat. I'm just along for the ride. So <laughs> right, you, right. You do you. You're just going to break the ice for me, then I'll take over. Well, unfortunately, I've got some sad news here from Yahoo.com. A Canadian woodchuck cast a different kind of shadow over Groundhog's Day on Thursday, just hours before he was due to predict spring's arrival. Fred La Marmotte was found dead. The groundhog showed no vital signs when the organizer of the annual February 2nd tradition in Val d'Espoir, Quebec, tried to wake him up from hibernation. If Fred had seen his shadow, then he would have come quickly scurrying back inside his burrow. But unfortunately, he was found just keeled over. Bump, bump, bump. Yeah, that's all I got, buddy. What do you got? (laughs) Astronomers from Canada and India said they have recently captured a radio signal from the most distant galaxy from Earth so far. Ooh la la. Mm. The researchers from McGill University and the India Institute of Science said that the signal was captured at a specific wavelength known as the 21-centimeter line with the use of the giant Metrowave radio telescope in India. They said that this is the first time this type of radio signal has been detected at such a distance. Oh my God, I'm thinking contact with Jodie Foster. Mm -hmm. Anyways, a galaxy emits different kinds of radio signals, and up until now it's only been possible to capture these particular signals from a nearby galaxy, limiting our knowledge of those galaxies closer to Earth. 
A Arneb Charkabodi. Nailed it. Fuck it. We nailed it. A postdoctoral researcher at McGill University said for years, astronomers reportedly have been trying to answer the question of how stars were formed in distant galaxies. And we've been doing it by detecting radio signals from these nearby galaxies. However, these signals become weaker the further away from the galaxy they originate from to Earth, making it difficult for further Earth current telescopes to pick them up. This recent radio signal uh, emanated from a distant star-forming galaxy called SDSSJ0826 plus 5630. Rolls off the tongue. <sighs> That's kind of, I mean, that, that kind of like, can't can we like... Does he got an ex-wife he can name it after? Because that's... <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can name a cockroach. You can name all sorts of crazy stuff. You can name a star after anybody. But I don't think you can actually name, you know, a whole galaxy. Researchers said that they were able to use the signal to measure the galaxy's gas composition, much like Sean's ass. You better believe Based it. on the observations, the researchers said that the atomic mass of gas content of this galaxy is near twice the mass of the stars that we can see. Researchers also said the signals emitted from the galaxy when the universe was 4.9 billion years old. So it's like looking into a time machine 8.8 billion years into the past. Looky there. Yeah, handing the baton back back to you. (laughs) So if you couldn't tell by tonight's title of the episode, The Alien Abduction of Filiberto Cardenas, that's right, folks. We're keeping the theme of underwater going one more episode here as we have a very strange UFO abduction that also happens to include water. Well, tonight's story takes place in the great state of Florida on the evening of January 3rd, 1979, and our protagonist is a man named Filiberto Cardenas, a 36-year-old Cuban exile father and also a husband who migrated to the U.S. Once he arrived here, Filiberto opened a small gift shop in Jalea that he named Sarabanda in the great state of Florida, which he later sold and used the profits to then open up a small gas station slash automobile service shop. So this guy was a great family man and also worked his ass off day and night. Well, on the faded night of January 3rd, 1979, while Cardenas was at work, he got a call from his friend Fernando Marty, who asked Filiberto to go out with him later that evening to buy some pork for a Sunday night cookout that they had planned. So together, he went with his friend Marty, along with Marty's wife and their daughter, and sat out on a quest to get that pork. Now, unfortunately, when they arrived at the market, all the pork had already sold out. So, they headed back to the highway. And right around 6 p.m. while they were returning to Okeechobee Road off Highway Route 27, the car began to make some strange noises, and the engine stalled out. So, Marty tried to start the car, but it wouldn't turn over. So both men doing what men do, and also women, because, you know, women can work on cars too, Marty opened the car's hood, and the two began checking the cables and the battery, but everything looked fine. So they couldn't find any reason why the car had stalled out. Then suddenly, the two men noticed the engine was beginning to glow and started reflecting several different colors of light, 
almost how water looks when it's mixed with oil on the blacktop. And then, almost as soon as the engine began to glow, all four people began to hear an unusual buzzing sound. They said sounded like thousands of bees flying around the car. And then the vehicle began shaking. And soon after, a bright, dazzling light shined down on the car and all four occupants. I tried to move, but I was paralyzed in my position, unable to do anything, even unable to move my arms. I could hear the screams of the women in the car. Marty, who was under the hood during the strange commotion, looked over at his friend as the car began to tremble, and he saw something that he truly couldn't understand. Just off the side of the vehicle, his friend Filiberto was slowly rising off the ground by some unknown force and was beginning to be pulled upwards into the sky. I looked down and saw that I was suspended in the air and rising. When I was 8 to 10 feet above the car, everything went dark, and I don't remember what happened. Marty said that he too also felt a strange weightlessness, but held onto the car to prevent himself from being lifted up. He managed to see Cardenas, who was also shouting, Let me go! Let me go! Let me go! And then, as he watched helplessly as Filiberto floated higher into the sky, Marty saw a heavy-looking UFO float over from behind the tree line. And as the ship passed over the car, Filiberto disappeared into the bottom of the craft as it then began to float higher in the sky and then flew away. Meanwhile, Mrs. Marty was absolutely scared shitless because the car is shaking, which made her immediately think about an earthquake similar to the big one that just shook California. And her daughter was right next to her, of course, screaming her head off. Marty, who was now in shock, ran over to his wife and daughter and started screaming. The aliens had taken Filiberto. He didn't know what to do, so then he jumped into the driver's seat and started the car. After several attempts, he finally managed to get the engine to turn over. The car, being in bad shape, was able to be returned to the highway. After getting back on the road, Marty was afraid to report the, to the police about the incident, as he thought they might believe that he actually may have harmed Filiberto, assaulting him or even killing him and dumping him off on the side of the highway. But anyway, he stopped the car at a service station and called the police, explaining to them what he had just witnessed. When they reached the town of Halea, he explained everything to the sergeant waiting for him in a patrol car. The police presumed that Cardenas would be lost or unconscious on the side of the highway. Marty wanted to check the place where it all happened one more time because he couldn't believe what he had seen. He returned back to the incident and the police also called for a search team to get a helicopter because it was soon going to be dark. Meanwhile, two hours later, Cardenas found himself regaining consciousness, though he was extremely groggy. Next thing I remember, I was waking up to consciousness on my hands and knees, and two bright lights were rushing at me. I heard brakes screeching and tires skid, and the lights swerved and came to a stop. I was helped up from the road by a man taking me by the collar and leading me off the road. I learned later that this was near 137th Avenue on Tamiami Trail, some 16 miles away from where my car had stalled out. It was a fellow motorist that had discovered Filiberto, 
and after getting him situated, the driver then called the police, and patrolman William Christian of the 5th Precinct Station came and picked up Cardenius. It was then around 8.15 p.m., a little over two hours after he had been elevated into the ship from a beam of light, just before the eyes of all three of his friends. The police officer later said that Cardenius told him he had no idea what had happened. And oddly enough, like many of these stories from alien abductions, he was over 10 miles away from the original location where he'd been lifted into the sky two hours previous. So back at the police station, even though the police officers who interviewed Marty thought he was drunk or had assaulted and left Filiberto on the highway, after receiving the phone call from the driver, they went out, found a man matching Filiberto's description, and after a small communication barrier, barrier between him and the officers, because Cardenius didn't speak well English at the time, the police checked his pockets. To see it didn't matter that I mispronounced all those words, because... Uh, the actual person in real life probably mispronounced the same words. So I'm just playing the part, buddy. It's called acting. Okay? <laughs> Is that what it's called? Yeah. <laughs> Me and Phil Brito are now like, uh, you know, acting alien brothers. You know, we connected over this. The police checked his pockets and found some identification cards, discovering that serendipitously it was indeed Filiberto Cardenas. And the search was then canceled. So what exactly happened to Filiberto Cardenas during those two hours? Well, at first, while being interviewed, Filiberto refused to describe to anybody what had happened to him during the time he was gone. But soon after the interrogation, his attitude changed, and he shared the abduction story. After undergoing hypnosis by a local hypnotherapist, it was discovered that he was restricted by his abductors not to share anything of the experience. Then, after six weeks of recovery from the first shocking experience, he came out to the public with the details, sharing his own name and identity. According to Filiberto, after he was paralyzed and then taken aboard the mysterious object, he found himself in a state where he couldn't move. He said he was in a small place surrounded by three humanoid-like entities, all dressed in tight-fitting overalls. One of the beings put a special helmet on Filiberto's head. He said the beings were small in size, and with the strange helmet, they began trying to communicate with them in several different languages. They tried speaking English and German, and finally, they talked to him in Spanish. After this, he said the craft began descending back down, and he remembers being taken to some unknown beach where there he saw deep blue water. He said one of the aliens got out of the object, opened up a secret tunnel from where a similar craft then flew away. The craft in which he was inside of then flew into the tunnel with a great speed, traversing underwater. Later, he said they were inside a large hangar underneath the sea. Cardenius was subjected to some kind of medical examination as the tests that he went through left 108 distinct marks on his body. It could have happened, Preston. We don't know. We don't know. One of the creatures was named Kiostros, who talked to him telepathically. He said Kiostros spoke to Cardenius in good Spanish with a kind of Portuguese or Italian accent. Kiostros talked about the higher energy of the sexual organs, the need for a different religion, 
the sinking of California in the Pacific, the future disability of an actress who will become the first lady of the White House, the disastrous end of President Sadat's rule in Egypt before the end of 1981, and many other predictions, including the death of another very famous actress, the cure for cancer, the People's Republic of China fighting Russia for the control of Asia, an Arabic war in the Middle East, and eventually the one that would involve Saudi Arabia and Israel as well. I mean, uh, this this alien must be a pretty bad fucking fortune teller because uh, <laughs> 98% of that shit didn't happen. I mean, you only got to get one out of 100 right to be a fortune teller. I mean, I guess. <laughs> well, the most important prediction of all was that six people from Earth were coming back in a UFO craft into the public to deliver a message, all of which Filiberto shared publicly. Because he thought it was essential the public be made aware of what's really going on and how much we would all be affected by it. He has a message to tell and is impelled to disseminate as widely as possible. Someone said that a checkup following the entire experience would later be made to detect traces of radiation from the UFO. At a local clinic, they were unable to treat or examine for such effects on Cardenas, so he was taken to Miami's Jackson Memorial Hospital at around 1.30 in the morning the following day on February 4th. His medical records show that he complained of pains in both his knees, his vision being out of focus. So they gave him x-rays and a general examination, and the hospital discovered stable vital signs, but a 0.2 by 0.2 centimeter abrasion on his forehead and a 2 by 2 centimeter yellow lesion on his right shoulder, among other marks. He was also checked for radi radioactive contamination at the hospital by the Air Force, who then was sent up from Homestead Air Force Base south of Miami. All the tests were negative, and he was then released and sent home. He went on to develop various odd symptoms, like excessive thirst, profuse sweating, sulfurous body odor, short memory, hot and cold flashes, and sexual dysfunction. His urine was also very dark in a yellow-brownish tint and had a very strange odor. I mean, isn't that just really a midlife crisis? <laughs> <laughs> You're getting older. <laughs> you know, my dick doesn't get hard anymore. My piss turned different color. I fucking sweat all the time. I smell Ugh. horrible. I'm always thirsty. That would be Wilfred it's a Brimley. Life crisis. Diabetes. <laughs> well, oh. <laughs> after the event, Cardenas would return to the abduction site several more times. Each time arriving there, he had a very expensive gold electronic watch, which he noticed would run very rapidly, gaining time. He also said he'd audibly hear a strange buzzing noise inside his head. For some time after returning, each time he touched the watch with his right index finger, the watch would speed up and make a buzzing noise again inside his head. And then he demonstrated for his wife, uh, which he then demonstrated for his wife and Dr. Sanchez, among other friends. He later took the watch to get repaired. At the abduction site, he would hear their voices inside his head, and he'd also be given information. Later, he could receive telepathic messages from the abductors without even going to the site. Well, we fast forward then on to February 21st of 1979. About a month and a half after the first abduction, he was directed to the same site again. 
By now, he was asking if his wife Iris could accompany, could accompany him, and this time he took her along. At around 3 o'clock in the morning, a top-shaped UFO arrived, and he and his wife were both then taken aboard the ship and didn't return until 6 a.m. the following morning. This time, they were both aboard, fully awake and conscious, and remained fully aware and alert the entire time. They could both remember the entire experience without hypnotic regression. These visitors were described as something like beings encountered by Herbert Schreimer in the Nebraska 1967 encounter, which we haven't talked about. The aliens wore tight-fitted blue, blue and white one-piece suits, covering everything except for their face. The Cardenases observed a serpent-like emblem on the right breast of the garment and a button-like earphone. Nazis. <laughs> Didn't we talk about an actual event that happened in Nebraska not too long ago? I don't know. I'll look, I'll look that up. We'll do a follow-up on that. The Cardenases observed a serpent-like emblem on the right breast of the garment and a button-like earphone over their right ears with a small antenna sticking out the top. The main physical difference between these smaller four-foot-sized beings is they spoke telepathically to the Cardenuses and conversed among themselves in a language that sounded a lot like Arabic. The two male and one female crew members seemed fascinated by Iris Cardenius's painted fingernails and her toenails. <laughs> yes, right, she got her nails did. The aliens suffered from sneezing throughout the experience and explained that there was something that emanated from the human bodies that causes this in close proximity. Well, tell you what, you should take me on board and I'll make you gag. Especially after chili. Mm -hmm. The control room in the spacecraft was surrounded by one wall of three small three-dimensional TV-like screens showing a great many things. Other walls were covered with illuminated colored buttons of many shades. Mrs. Cardenia said that she pinched herself to make sure she wasn't dreaming and she also asked one of the alien creatures if she could touch him, which the entity agreed. The material of his suit... A little lower. A little lower. There you go. Achoo! Whoops. <laughs> and he's off to the races. The material of his suit felt slick in one direction and then rough in another, like tiny fish scales. His body, though, was firm under the material of the suit. I bet it was. Maybe we should have saved this part of the story for our late night episode. She yeah. said, they, they spoke to me of universal love. And I have learned from them that this is what I must do. Love and help my fellow man. Cardenius opened those legs wide. wide. Uh -oh. <laughs> Come on, baby. <laughs> Filiberto experienced a, parents, a period of time after the first abduction where he was tele telepathically influenced to say meaningless words and numbers for five minutes each night. He now reports heightened senses of tele telepathic sensitivity towards other people. Although no spacecraft was actually seen on the first abduction, one was clearly observed by Filiberto and Iris the second time it had approached and hovered near their parked car in almost the same place where he was first snatched. The ship didn't have an actual touchdown, but hovered just a few feet above the ground. It was as large as a refrigerated railroad car and roughly mushroom-shaped, and had a smaller gondola on the bottom. The Cardenius couple walked around and looked through plate glass windows and suddenly 
they were through the glass and inside the ship. That's kind of bizarre. So they weren't even like walking up some kind of, you know, ramp. They just kind of phased right through it. They saw several narrow one-legged chairs and tall backs. The chairs could turn around and they said they saw very human-looking occupants of the ship. They were three and a half feet tall, smaller than Filiberto, and they were dressed in tight-fitting silvery bluish-white one-piece suits previously described by Filiberto. Oh, it kind of sounds like we have a time shift here. This is kind of weird. Iris lit a cigarette inside the craft, and Mr. Cardenas told her not to smoke because she might contaminate the atmosphere inside the ship and make these little bastards sneeze even more. Filiberto said he was telepathically advised of the second meeting, asking if he could bring his wife along for the contact, which they agreed. Iris asked if the aliens were the two who also abducted two little girls from Puerto Rico previously. She heard the story from a nurse when she was in a clinic with Filiberto. And they said, no, they do not abduct little girls, which then relieved Iris of the fears for her, their own three-year-old daughter, Barbarita. Filiberto says the aliens spoke of many different things, but he doesn't want to elaborate on these at this time. Some things are best left to the future. That there is time for everything. He and his wife are on the ship from uh, up until about 5.15 a.m. for over a couple hours. They then returned home about 5.30 a.m., where Filiberto immediately called Dr. Sanchez Osejo and told him of the second contact from the creatures. Because he couldn't say anything until 10 a.m. the next morning, he said to Sanchez he'd have to call him back and tell him the whole story later. Then at exactly 10 a.m., a large mothership with two smaller disc-shaped crafts were seen by hundreds of witnesses at Miami International Airport, 10 miles from the most recent encounter. A woman named Julia Gonzalez and a man named Richard Sanchez, who were airport employees working at the center of the airport runway area, stated they both observed all three objects clearly for several minutes. They also saw passengers who were boarding a flight for departure stop and stare at the unusual spectacle and saw other airport employees watching the ships and the sky overhead. Gonzalez said they called a local radio station to report the strange phenomenon, and they referred to Dr. Sanchez Osejo. The same, oh, they were referred to Dr. Sanchez Osejo, the same one who investigated the Cardenas' case. And that about wraps it up. It says the contacts continue between Filiberto as being prepared for a larger mission. He wonders now if the world is ready or not, or if the world even wants to help. Man, I think <clears throat> my two cents. Uh huh. Ready uh -huh. for it? Yeah, go for it. I, I think uh, I, th I think uh, one of three things happened here. One, uh huh, it's one hundred percent accurate and true. Possibly. Two, this happened before the events of Fire in the Sky, and Travis Walton read this and said, "Fuck yeah, it sounds like Nazis." I can add a hanger, uh, some uh, bald people, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. medical exams. Oh, fucking thirsty all the time. My dick doesn't work anymore. People will believe it. Or, reverse, <laughs> this guy heard the Travis Walton story and said, fuck, my dick's not working. I fucking sweat all the time. <laughs> fuck yeah, people will fucking... Nazis? People will buy this shit. And then he'll just uh, tell the story. So, you know... A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, or 100% factual, folks. It happened. 
When did Fire in the Sky take place? That was... I mean, it was 70s, right? I think it was. I know the movie came out in the early 90s. Let's just see here. Let's just see here. This Because it's so, fu- so, fucking, so fucking similar. Like, uh, uh, there was a UFO my buddy got sucked up, and I was like, fuck that guy. Got in my truck and just <laughs> went down the highway. And then I called the cops about an hour later and be like, uh, hey, uh, Fernando uh, got abducted by aliens. Uh, I don't know if he's alive or not. And boom, eh? fire in the sky. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. So Fire in the Sky happened in 1975. So yeah, that's pretty interesting, man. There are a lot of strange parallels. Yeah. Ha ha ha. Okay. Well, you also have that classic, classic bit there about the universal language of light and love. And we have a yeah. bigger mission. Well, I don't know if time is the same to aliens, but this has been how many years now since this happened, man? And I don't think Mr. Filiberto has done too much in his secret mission. Maybe he has. Maybe he's selling knickknacks out of his body shop we don't know of, you know. Dude, I think they're I think they're gaslighting us because okay, look, I'm not saying that every single paranormal or alien abduction story is bullshit. I think that they actually happen. But it's mm-hmm. the fact that every single one of them is like we come in peace, we come in love. We want you to love everybody. Equality. Ooh la la. <laughs> Dude, this fucking world's still a piece of shit. It's not happening. You haven't fixed it. Mm-hmm. You've been around for, I don't know, hundreds of years and you keep preaching the same fucking message like, guys, come on, shit or get off the pot. Fix the system's broken. Fix it, aliens. <laughs> come on, Andromedans. Right. We need your help. I think you're gaslighting us. What you're doing <laughs> is you're telling us you're here for the peace and love and ooh-la-la, and then you're sticking it right up the pooper and been like, nope, this cat's got cancer. Throw him back. Let's go get another one, Jerry. We need, we need some <laughs> good genetic material. <laughs> yeah. Humans make me sneeze. Let's just kill all of them. Yep. I'm waiting for the then, Mars attacks you know, scenario people, to happen. People like Travis Walton for Betra, they wake back up, and they're like, I mean, yeah. They, they stuck me up the pooper, but they're here for peace and love, brother. Peace they're and love, baby. It's the universal love. language. <laughs> yeah, I think consent would be the universal language, and it sounds like they're not asking a lot of people before they go up the old steam coal, so. Nope. They really ought to be asking permission. Well, buddy, have we decided on what kind of smut we're going to read for next episode? Yeah, because I sent you the fucking photo of the book that the wife got me for Christmas. <laughs> oh, is that what we're... Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, man. Yeah. All right. And we're going to uh, we're gonna record that one live, yeah? Yeah, Krampus comes hard, everybody. Krampus comes <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no. All right. And then when should we do that one? You think we ought to rock that one out? Um, Sunday night or Monday over. night? So, uh, not Sunday night, because Daddy's going to be either watching uh, the Chiefs win or the Chiefs Oh, shit, blow. right. So, right. Monday Super night. Super Bowl. That's going to be February the 13th at okay. 9.30 Central yeah. Standard Time. 9.30 or 10. People. I'll let you know. I think we might be going okay. to dinner that night, but we'll post it early, guys. We'll uh, we'll definitely post it on Sunday and a reminder. I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll definitely, repo- definitely post it on Saturday and a follow-up on Sunday to clarify the time. I just don't want to, uh, you know, rush through dinner on Monday night. But I have been compiling a ton of just bizarre news stories and other articles um, for the last several months here, man. So I got a lot of stuff already to go. Um, we have porn stars. We have jump ropes. We have Zoom meetings. We have the dicks of baton. We have nudists riding bikes and um, golf, to name a few mm. of the topics we're going to talk about on next week's episode. Now, remember, guys... 
Next week, it's a late-night episode. We're not recording late. We're just going to be talking about filthy, filthy things and very bizarre things, all in the very unusual and overly sexual uh, nature. And paranormal wrapped up in there, too. So, And then, of mm-hmm. course, uh, what late-night episode would be complete without Preston's Book of Smut? <sighs> I wonder if we can get Stephen on here to record with us or if it's just going to be us <laughs> two idiots giggling <laughs> the entire time. Oh, man. We'll have to definitely put up a disclaimer on that one. At least we're already labeled as um, explicit on YouTube, so that's good. There, there's nothing better than seeing the look on Steve's face when one of us reads the line, like, Gnome's dick be shoved his gnome dick in her mouth, and Steve's like, oh, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. I'll holler at him see if he wants to join us on the penis. next episode. Give it to me. And Steve's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you guys just said that. Like, come on, Steve. We're <laughs> all know. adults here. I know. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Well, guys, if you're on the social medias, please give us a follow on Facebook, the Pixelated Paranormal Podcast, on Instagram, at P-X-L-P-A-R-A. We have a Twitter. We're never on there anymore because Twitter kind of sucks these days. But Presto, tell me a little bit more about YouTube, man. How are we faring? I think we might have gained one. Last time we might have been at 235, and now we're at 236. So maybe we're at 236, and we're still at 236. Either way, Mm -hmm. if you're watching this on YouTube Live, down in the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see a green Slimer Goo splash pattern that says like and subscribe. So if you're finding this live or you've come back after we've recorded it and you're watching the video and you like the content that you're here, do us a favor and smash, smash, smash that like button, <laughs> subscribe to the channel, share it with all your friends, and uh, help us grow uh, YouTube. So, Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And if you're listening to us on Apple or iTunes, please give us a rating and a review on the old iTunes. We would love to share those on the air. Also on Spotify, please give us a rating. We're yeah. currently at number five, a, a five-star podcast on both platforms. We would greatly appreciate that. We lost... Smash, a- smash, smash that subscribe button on those platforms. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we lost a lot of our ratings whenever we had to switch to the new... Um, feed. But anyway, man, um, I really enjoy doing these live shows. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I think it also makes us tighten up our game a bit because, you know, I got to read through these a couple of times. So I'm not just sitting here going, it's all folks. Look, as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow a beard that just has the word consent written all over it so that you don't get probed in an alien spaceship, then do yourself a favor, go over to BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. Pick yourself up some scents like Bay Rum, Fresh, Citrus, Mint, Classic, Sweet Tobacco. I right now have mint in my beard, and I have to say it smells fantastic. So, the aliens are going to give me consent. Anyways, get it all. Get it at Dobbs. I don't know what any of that meant. <laughs> oh, and of course, if you're in the Wichita area, please stop by and tell our good friend Leslie hello at CD Trade Post, Pawnee, and Seneca. Don't forget John, oh. because isn't John there sometimes too? Uh, John ducks in from time to time. Yeah, most definitely. And he, of course, joined us on tonight's stream. So we just want to give a shout out to everybody. John and my brother and Ken, thanks for joining us, guys. I also see a few other people on here that haven't commented, and that's okay, no problem. And I do want to also invite anybody, if you've got your own personal paranormal story that you want to share with us, please 
you really got to send those over to us. We'd love to share them on the podcast. You can send them over to our email, pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. You, of course, can DM us on Facebook or on the old Instagram. That would work as well. And we also got this Google Voice number, 913-662-3144. And you can leave us, I think, up to a two-minute long message there. So if your story's a little longer, of course... Just call right back and I'll piece it together on the podcast. We sure would love to hear from you guys. That'd be awesome. Also, email us or shoot us a message for different topics you'd like us to cover as well. Because I know, you know, there's probably a handful that we haven't talked about. Hell, there's a whole lot we haven't talked about. But uh, that would be splendiferous. Yeah, I still have those uh, four books of Haunted America that have countless uh, sites in them that I got to cover. And then I came across uh, the other day while we were out of town this article about sea creatures from uh, the early to late 1800s. Some guy overseas wrote about, like, sea cows and sea rhinoceroses and, like, all these weird different creatures that people reported on the seven seas. And and, um, it used to be common practice that if you were a sailor, like, you knew of the sea cow or the sea rhinoceros. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was like, holy crap, like, we should cover this, like... This is interesting. And he even well, did the world a favor and he drew all the creatures in a book. So that way you knew exactly <laughs> when the sea cow plopped up on your deck, you knew what you were dealing with. Yeah, you knew you had a manatee to deal with. No. Well, hell no, yeah. No. It was the front half of a cow and the back half of a manatee. He was very what? clear that it was a sea <laughs> cow. <laughs> It had udders. You could milk it. Moo. Ah, well. That's how you get the milk of the sea. It deserves a deeper dive. It certainly does. Well, I think we're going to dry everybody out next week, so we're going to get out of the water. (laughs) Or we might not leave a single dry bench in the whole room. John, if you're still on here and you're you're listening, you said wow a few minutes ago. Next week, you're really going to say wow. Like, whoa. Mm -hmm. You might even purr like a walrus after we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, until next time, folks, I love to say cheers to the weird shit, and those of us love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.